Um, maybe a story that's familiar to some of you. I don't know if you've heard it or not. The reason I'm doing it is because I heard this week when Everett, Edward Everett Hale, the former chaplain of the United States Senate, was once asked, Chaplain Hale, do you pray for the senators when you stand before Congress? <laughs> and he said, when I look at the senators, I pray for our world. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that. But what it says to me is we all need to receive the grace of God. Every one of us. Because, as we've been saying for the last seven weeks, friends, it's all about grace. All about grace. The story is a story about a man whose name is Fiorello LaGuardia. The former mayor of New York City. He was mayor of New York City during the worst days of what was known as the Great Depression. The middle of World War II. And LaGuardia was known by New Yorkers and they called him the Little Flower. Because he was five foot four and he always wore a little tiny carnation in the, in the suit pocket of his jacket. So he was known as the little flower. He was a colorful character who he is told that he used to ride with the New York City Fire Department. He would raid bordellos and uh, with the New York City Police Department. He would take entire orphanages to Yankee games. Whenever the New York newspapers were go would go on strike, it said that LaGuardia felt so bad for the children of the city that he would go and buy radio time just to read the comics to them since they couldn't get it through the newspaper but the story is of a of a bitterly cold night in january 1935 the mayor turned up at what is common in new york city we're not much aware of them here but they have in larger cities and new york i think was one of the first ones to do this what they called night court where Less significant cases were brought before a municipal judge and tried at night. This particular night court was in the poorest ward of New York City. And Mayor LaGuardia had dismissed the ward's judge for that evening so that he could take over the bench himself. Within a few minutes, after convening the court, LaGuardia said that a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread from the local bodega, which is out the equivalent of what we would call a, a grocery store. And she told LaGuardia that her daughter's husband had deserted them, that her daughter was sick, and that her two grandchildren were literally starving to death. The owner of the bodega from whom the bread was stolen, he refused to drop the charges against the old woman. Telling the mayor, you know what, this is a real bad neighborhood. She's got to be punished to teach everyone else around here a lesson. LaGuardia sighed and turned to the woman and he said, I have to punish you. 
The law doesn't give me any leeway to make exceptions, so your fine is $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence upon the woman, Mayor LaGuardia was already reaching into his pocket where he pulled out a $10 bill, tossed it into his hat, saying, here's the $10 fine that I now remit on your behalf. And in addition, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in an area of town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, would you collect the fines from everyone here and give them to the defendant? Well, the following day, as you can well imagine, the New York City newspapers were reported that $47.50, now understand the Great Depression, $47.50 was different than what $47.50 was today. Newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren, 50 cents of that amount being contributed by a red-faced bodega owner. In that courtroom, it said that there were sitting some 70 criminals charged with petty crimes, traffic violations, New York City policemen who had written those fines were present. Each of them had to pay 50 cents as the result of Judge LaGuardia's ruling. But when all the money was collected, everybody in the courtroom stood to their feet and gave the mayor a standing ovation. Here's my question. Did the elderly lady in that story get what she deserved? Clearly, no. She'd stolen a loaf of bread, and yes, she may have had a good reason to do it, but stealing is still stealing. And regardless of the reason why she chose to steal, punishment was the order of the day. But friends, what we see in this story, and the reason for my telling it, is what we call grace. Grace is when one in superior power shows kindness or mercy to one in a lesser position. Mayor LaGuardia, rather than demanding punishment of the woman herself, paid her fine, and then helped further her cause with the collection of 50-cent fines and gave the money to her. It was more than she deserved. And that, my friends, is what grace is. It's more than any of us deserve. Matthew chapter number 20 is the biblical account of a similar story. And as I said earlier, I'm doing this a bit different this morning. Yeah, I believe that expository preaching is the finest form of preaching known to mankind. But there are just times when 
as Jesus practiced in his ministry, he just told stories. He called them parables. And his intent in telling parables, the stories, and the way that he did was so that everyone who heard them could perhaps see themselves in the story. He says here in Matthew 20, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. <clears throat> After agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. To those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and again at three, he went out again and did the same thing. And then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. Well, you also go to my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. And when those who were hired about five o'clock came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received. A denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? And then Jesus said, so the last will be first. And the first, last. Wow, what a story. You know, I found myself hearing that story for the umpteenth time a couple of weeks ago. And I found myself reacting for the umpteenth time the same way that I've reacted to it every other time that I've heard it. And perhaps you're experiencing it this morning, having heard it. It's not fair. Hello? I mean, maybe you folks are more spiritual than I. But it doesn't seem fair or equitable to me. Let me tell you about fair. Fair has nothing to do with grace. As a matter of fact, it's not fair. It's not fair when you think that you have done so much that was contrary to what God expected of you. Any of you folks ever mess up and sin? Yeah. 
And God, in response to your sinfulness, to your waywardness, sends His sinless, perfect, only Son. And takes the penalty for your sinfulness and mine and places it on His sinless, perfect Son and kills Him over it. That's not fair. But for you and for me, it's grace. Grace that's greater than our sin. Hallelujah. I may have to take a running fit before this is over. The first thing that I want to share with you this morning in this message that I've entitled Grace is the difference. Is this thought. Grace. (laughs) How did I put it? Grace is received. It's not deserved. Now let me just go back to this story for a moment. (laughs) This is the parable that's known as the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And Jesus starts the thing off by saying, let me show you with you what the kingdom of heaven's like. And he tells us about this landowner that goes out and hires workers for his vineyard. Some he hires early in the day telling them that he would pay them the usual daily wage that they had been accustomed to. And then he goes back at various times throughout the day, finds more workers to be hired, and each time as he hires those that were there, he tells them that he would pay them what was right. And Jesus uh, does not tell us why some of them had not found work or if they had just not shown up at the marketplace in time to get hired. But for whatever reason, they were still there at various times throughout the day waiting To find work. But what Jesus does tell us. Is that at the end of this day. The landowner comes to pay the workers. And that he begins with the one. Who were most recently hired. In other words. Those hired at 5 o'clock. That only worked one hour. Until the end of the work day. At 6 o'clock. And he pays them. The equivalent. Of a full daily wage. Now, just let me stop here because I want you, as Jesus' intent was, to see yourself in this story. Let's pretend for a moment that you were one of those who were hired first thing in the morning. You've worked all day. And you see the landowner come and begin to pay the wages. And you've noticed that throughout the day there are these other workers that have come and worked probably as hard but for much less period of time than what you have. And so when he starts paying them first and you see him pay them a full day's wage for one hour work, you begin to get excited. Because you think, oh boy, if he's paying them for a full day's work, what must he be going to pay me? Because look at all I've done. 
Look how hard I've worked. Look how much more I've done than they've done. I can't hardly wait till it comes my turn to get paid. Right? Now let me just say that their excitement is short-lived. In fact, it seems according to the story that they get pretty upset when they get the same pay for working all day as those who worked only an hour. Again, question. Stop in the middle of the story to ask the question so I can be sure you're seeing yourselves in this. <laughs> Would you have been upset had you been one who had worked hard the entire day? Now, come on. Those of you who would be upset because you worked 12 hours, why? <laughs> why? You're going to get exactly what you agreed to work the entire day for when you went to work, regardless of when it was. That's what you agreed to. So back to the story. When the landowner hears these servants grumbling, he tries to explain to them that he's not being unfair at all. He had given them what they'd agreed upon. It was his money, and he could be generous if that's what he chose to do. Now, once again, Jesus doesn't tell us how the workers responded to this landowner's explanation. But I think you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. This landowner must not know much about how to do business. And the proof of that will come tomorrow morning when he goes to the same marketplace to hire workers to work for the entire day. Because guess who's not going to be there to be hired in the morning? You aren't. Why? Because you, along with Scotty, are saying to yourself, I can just wait till 5 o'clock. And I can go at 5 o'clock and work for an hour and get a full day's wage. <laughs> now, what I can tell you with certainty is that even though this landowner must not be much of a businessman, evidently this landowner knew a lot about grace. The workers that came at the end of the day that did not get what they deserved, they got mercy. And friends, mercy is at the heart of grace. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy is withholding from you what you do deserve. Now let's take it out of the business equation and put it in the spiritual equation. Grace is withholding God's wrath from you for your sinfulness. Mercy is God giving you grace when what you really deserved 
was death and punishment. Mercy is at the heart of grace. Now, of course, you figured out by now, in this parable, the landowner is God, the workers are us, and the pay is grace. I said it once before, I'll say it again. Grace is received, not deserved. For those of us, you knew I was going to get to this. For those of us who are people of faith, we know that we don't deserve God's grace, right? Nothing that we can do, we understand, will ever put us in a position of being deserving of God's grace. So all we can do is receive the gift of grace freely. But for those of us who are people of faith, who have been in the faith for a long time, it's hard for us to grasp that because of our faithfulness and our years and years of service, that we should not get more favor from God than those who haven't been in service to God for as long as we have. That's how it relates spiritually. Not that this church would have ever been guilty of that, but I know of some churches that were. Grace has to be received because it's never going to be deserved. Perhaps you've heard of David Siemens. David Siemens is one of the most renowned Christian authors and counselors who wrote a book, and I would highly recommend it if you've never read it. It's entitled Healing Grace. And in that book, Healing Grace, Siemens tells a story. A story that takes place in Austria in the year 1916. For more than 600 years in Austria, the, a family known as the Habsburgs exercised political power in Europe when, and when Emperor Franz Joseph I of Austria died in 1916, his was the last of what were called extravagant imperial funerals. Now let me describe to you an imperial funeral. An imperial funeral was a processional of dignitaries and very elegantly dressed uh, important people. I was going to say something else. but Important people, elegantly dressed, court personages that were escorting the casket. Casket draped in the black and gold imperial colors of the country. And they would march along in that processional to the military band. And by the light of torches, this group who was putting on very somber airs, as did mourners in the Bible, they were acting, and they probably were grief-stricken because they'd lost a friend, a loved one, whatever. But they were very showy about their grief and, and, and their sorrow that they were experiencing. And so they're walking alongside this casket as it makes its way down the street toward the monastery in Vienna, Austria, where important people were buried. Now, at the bottom of the stairs of this monastery, the crypt, there was a great iron door leading to what was known as the Habsburg family crypt. Behind the door was the Cardinal Archbishop of Vienna. 
and the officer in charge of the professional follows the prescribed ceremony that accompanies every imperial funeral established centuries before, and they get to the bottom of the steps, and the officer cries out, Open! And the cardinal archbishop says, Who goes there? We bear the remains of his imperial and apostolic majesty, Franz Joseph I, by the grace of God, emperor of Austria, king of Hungary, defender of the faith, and the officer goes on to list 37 titles that Franz Joseph I had accumulated through the years. When he finishes, the cardinal replies from inside the crypt, We know him not! Who goes there? So the officer cries out again, only this time using the Reader's Digest condensed version, much abbreviated. Less ostentatious than the first one, run reserved when uh, running out of time. You know what I mean. At the end, the cardinal from inside the crypt says, Who's there? Who goes there? The officer heard him respond, We know him not. So the officer tries a third time, stripping the emperor of all but the humblest of titles, saying, We bear the body of Franz Joseph, our brother, a sinner just like every one of us. At which point in time, the crypt doors swing wide open. And Franz Joseph I is finally admitted to his burial site. You say, Pastor, that's the dumbest story I've ever heard. No, it's not. It's one of the best stories you'll ever hear. And I'll tell you why. Because it teaches us that no matter who you are, it doesn't matter how many titles you have accumulated, how much you have, what your pedigree is, none of those things will open the door to the way of God's grace. None of them. Grace is given freely. And all that's up to us is for us to receive grace. Grace received, not deserved. Secondly, God's grace is about mercy, not about fairness. I already touched on this briefly. What would have been fair in Jesus' story, obviously, would have been to to pay the later workers in Jesus' parable either, either less than a full day's wage or pay those who had worked all day more than a daily wage. That would have been fair. But when we speak about grace, we have to understand it's different than about being fair. It's about mercy. And again, mercy is at the heart of grace. God loves us and he mercifully gives us more than we deserve. Again, not choosing to be expository preacher this morning, but parable telling preacher this morning. Let me share with you the story of another author, some of whom I'm sure of you are well acquainted with. His name is Larry Burkett. Larry Burkett speaks in his book entitled Business by the Book about going the extra mile, going beyond fair. He tells of a time early in his career when he leased an office in a building that proved to be a nightmare. I think I rented that building once too. 
The foundation in his office had not been properly constructed. The office building was literally sinking several inches a year into the ground. After more than three years of putting up with assorted problems, including power failures, weeks without water, Burkett decided to move his business to another location. Well, two months after he left that pathetic building, Burkett received a call from his former landlord who demanded that Burkett remodel and repaint his former office space. I can't resist this. Stopping in the middle of the story again. How many of you are thinking, hey, no way. Of course you are. I'm telling the story and I'm thinking that. Burkett felt that way too. He said no, feeling he'd already been more than fair with this landlord. But the former landlord continued to call with his demands for him to remodel and repaint the office. So Burkett decided to consult an attorney who agreed with him that he had fulfilled his responsibilities and should not do anything further. But Burkett made the mistake of going home and telling this story to his son. And his son reminded his dad that he had often commented that he would like this to help this landlord through a tremendous loss that he and his wife had suffered. Year, uh, years before, um, this landlord and his wife had lost their only child to an accident. And they were still suffering from the effects of that loss. And so his son reminds him, Dad, you said... Many times that you'd like to find some way to help this landlord and his wife deal with the tragic loss of their only child. And dad, what I'm suggesting to you is that this just might be an opportunity to do that. <laughs> no, it wasn't fair. But his son said it would be an act of mercy. Burkett said he considered what his son had said. And over a period of time decided to commit several thousand dollars to restore a virtually non-usable building. But out of that act became the motivation for writing this book called Business by the Book. Now some of you may think that's a business journal. The book that he's referring to is not a business journal. It's the Word of God. Business by the book. Business by the book. Because this book tells of the mercy and the grace of a loving God who will go beyond what was ever required of Him in an attempt to reach the heart of someone who is hurting. It's about going beyond what's fair to what is merciful. And that's grace. Secondly, God's grace is about mercy, not about fairness. Thirdly and lastly, God's grace is for the last, 
as well as the first. Now, it would be easy for us to think and to say that we deserve more. Because we are the people who have been faithful to the call of Christ for many years. And yet, from what I have shared with you already, we, am, we now are beginning to understand that that's not the way God works. Today and every day, God wants a relationship, not just with those of you who have done it right for a while. He wants a relationship with everyone. No matter if they look like you, no matter if they act like you, no matter if they live on the same side of the tracks as you do, no matter if they frequent the same places that you frequent or hang around, hang out with the same people you hang out with. God wants a relationship with everyone. From those who have done his work from the first to those that have only managed to put about an hour at the end of the day. (laughs) That's what grace is about. Another story. This one hits particularly close. Because I've unfortunately had too many opportunities through now more than 27 years of senior pastor ministry to hear this story or versions of it painfully revealed in the seat of my office seeking my counsel. And here's the way the story goes. A woman came to her pastor telling of how her father had sexually abused her as a small child. She grew up, she overcame the emotional damage that had been done by the abuse, became a Christian, and eventually married a godly man. And years later, her own, when her own children were fully grown, she received a letter from this father who had abused her, telling her that he too had now become a Christian and was asking God to forgive him For what he had done to her. And he also wrote in that letter. That he realized that he had not only sinned against God. But that he had sinned against her. And was writing to ask for her forgiveness. When she read the letter she said. Feelings that had not been experienced for years. All of a sudden came to the forefront. Of my heart and my mind. It surfaced again. And she said, the only thing that I could think was, it's not fair. He should pay for what he's done to me. It's too easy. It's too easy for him. And now I find out he's going to be a part of the same family of God That I and my children are a part of. And she began to think on that and let that brew for a while. And in the letter her dad had invited her to come. See him baptized at what was her home church. And she thought oh that will just be wonderful. 
I'll go there and watch him baptize. They'll probably even kill a fatted calf to party over it. And she got madder and madder. She was angry. She was hurt. She was resentful. The night after receiving the letter, she went to bed and finally sleep came. And in her sleep, she had a dream. And the Lord showed her her father standing on an empty stage. Above him appeared what seemed to be the hands of God holding a white robe, ascending down toward her father. Now the problem was she recognized the robe. It was the robe that she too had been wearing for a number of years after having given her heart, given her heart to the Lord Jesus. Now God is offering that same robe to her father. And she said in her dream, as the robe began to descend toward her father, she woke up with tears streaming down her face, realizing the only way that she could get past all of her pain and resentment was to realize that her earthly father was now the same as she was, a child of their heavenly father. They were now both the same in God's sight. God's grace was for him. Just as it had been. And still was. For her. And realizing that. She was finally able to forgive her father. Now I understand something friends. That may or may not have meant. Because the story didn't go on. That may or may not have meant that she ran and put her arms around daddy. In fact, I'm guessing it probably didn't mean that. But what it did mean was that she was giving forgiveness. And in her offer of forgiveness, she now opened the door for her own forgiveness. It's not fair. It's not equitable. She's the one that suffered. But grace is for the last as well as it is for the first. It's all about grace. You know, I'm seeing the looks on your face. It's a similar look to the ones I have on my face. I sat and I prepared this message on February 8th in my office. And I'm thinking to myself, Terry, this isn't one of your expository sermons. This is a sermon that's full of stories. I won't call them parables. I'll leave that gifting to Jesus. But I'm sharing them with the same intent as did Jesus in the telling of his parables. It's an effort for you and I to see ourselves in light of these stories. And as I sat there in my office on February 8th thinking, okay, now Terry, what clever application can you give this congregation so that they can apply this to themselves? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden it hits me. Why don't you just leave that to the Holy Spirit? Mm. 
why don't you just let the Holy Spirit do it? And I thought to myself, that's a good thought. <laughs> that's a good thought. So this morning, I'm going to let these stories stand alone. I'm going to let them speak for themselves to those of you who may see yourselves in them or situations from your life, your past, your present. Because what I'm telling you is I am making the decision right now to allow the Holy Spirit to finish this message for you today. I don't have any clever altar call. I don't have any passionate invitation. I'm letting the Holy Spirit do His work. Worship team, would you come please? My prayer, however, is that those of you who need to respond to that urging of the Spirit of God, do so so that you can leave this place this morning free from burdens that you were never intended to bear on your own. How's that possible? Grace. Oh, friends. Growing up people need growing up grace. Whatever it is you've been afflicted with, whatever pain you've had to carry and who knows for how long, you weren't ever intended to bear it on your own. And in the presence of Jehovah this morning, troubles vanish, hearts are mended, What's it say? The presence of the King. All that stuff that I, I asked you if, if you'd ever experienced. Some of you may still be experiencing. What I'm saying to you. Oh, I left that to the Holy Spirit. I'm a creature of habit. But what I'm saying to you this morning is in Jesus' presence. He's here. All that stuff can be gone. Now it's your turn. In the presence of Jehovah. In the presence of Jehovah. God Lord, that there are some sitting in this room who have lived with situations, broken hearts, shattered dreams, unfulfilled expectations. 
They've lived with it for so long, God. They think that's just their lot in life. And they succeeded at learning how to cope. They've succeeded in living with it. Oh, it still surfaces from time to time and it it sucks the joy out of their relationships. It leaves them standoffish. And that's just where the enemy wants them. To keep them from grasping all that you have for them. Because you desire to be their burden bearer. To take that burden from them and to set them free. So that they can live the abundant life that you've called them to live. And you're able to do that this morning. Would you stand to your feet with me and your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I'm going to make this as easy as possible. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning and He has spoken to you through whatever means He's chosen to do today, whether through these stories or just by virtue of bringing you here this morning. Don't go on living beneath all that God has for you when He can set you free. Don't worry about whether it's fair or not. Don't worry that you're not getting your just desserts as those perhaps even who inflicted the hurt are getting the same treatment as you are. Don't worry about all of that stuff. Just just focus on the freedom that Jesus wants to call you into this morning. The lightened load that He desires for you to have to bear day in, day out. The joy the peace all the things that he wants to bring to your life this morning if only you'll let it if only you'll let it in the presence these altars are open I'd love to pray with you you want to give me a call this week and say pastor if we need to set up an appointment give me a call let me tell you what friends I've lived with that brokenness I've lived with that anger I've lived with that bitterness it's not worth carrying because Jesus had something so much better and he's making it available to you this morning as a means of grace and he's calling to you receive it today. Won't you come? Let's sing it one more time as a way of dismissal. Jesus, speak to you. In the presence of
Spirit of God, I'm going to be obedient to what you spoke to my heart. I'm going to let you do your work. Whether that work is today, whether it's confirmed by people coming or people coming in their own way to you, that's your business. But I'm praying, Lord, that what they have heard today and what you are speaking to them, they would take with them in the understanding that your presence is with them wherever they go. That you never leave them. You never forsake them. And dear Jesus, at any moment in time, touch them and their troubles will vanish their hearts can be mended and I'm going to trust you to do that Jesus as you continue to deal with them in Jesus name